just like I so strongly do not want to be a part of this system. I am visibly opting out of this system. And that's why I have pussy across my forehead. Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Hopefully we got all our wiggles out and we can just be on topic now. Yep, okay. This Hate myself for loving you. Oh. Break free from the oh, hey, folks. Just shut up. Oh, my God. Hey, I didn't realize we were doing asynchronous karaoke tonight. Sorry, I uh, I didn't mean to bust the My karaoke song time. is actually so far away by Carol King, but go off, I guess. We're like, we're it's karaoke, it's karaoke, but yeah, you're like ships in the night. You just have to like try to sing over the other person <laughs> or ignore them completely. I mean, we don't have karaoke groups. We don't have that luxury. It's sad. It's a sad do, time to live in. I actually did um, karaoke a while ago, but it didn't go very well because I was so nervous that I kind of choked. You were nervous? I was numerous. Numerous. Terrible. <laughs> well, why do you you have a great singing voice? There's no need to be numerous. I have an adequate singing voice. I'm sorry to be that guy, but could somebody get me a seltzer? I am exhausted. Oh, yes, be right back. Thank you. Uh, we had just got done doing supply redistribution, and like, oh, there's a lot of stuff, and it has to yeah. go a lot of different places. I foolishly, foolishly volunteered the fact. Huh? Uh, anything with grapefruit in it, it would be cool. Ooh, okay. look at me! I can have grapefruit without messing up my medication. It's a, it's, it's flavor. It's not real grapefruit. Here you go. Thank you anyway, so much. Anyway, I darling. unfortunately Welcome. volunteered the information that I am good at data entry, so I have been doing non-stop spreadsheets of financial details for donations. I just that's all I hear about at your from your last job so I just assume that's what you're doing with your whole life yeah I, I leave work and go to mutual aid stuff and it's the same just more spreadsheets hey I mean that's an important I feel like my mom always like forgets that I can do really good versions of sex L and I'm like we learned this in like fourth and a half grade I don't understand why it's such a big deal and she's like we, we didn't learn this when we were when, when we were in school so. the Democrats will teach sex L to your children in fourth and a half grade oh no <laughs> somebody give me some pearls to clutch <laughs> are the pearls a euphemism you know the pearls <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, the seltzer hit me pretty good. <laughs> that pretty feel bad. when the seltzer hits. Yeah, we're not even drunk today. No. Yet. Speak for yourself. Is it, is it, is it, is it wait, is it regular seltzer or is it Spike Claw? No, it's not Spike, Spike Claw. Spike Claw is my warrior cat's name. Yes, yes! <laughs> That's oh a wrap, folks. We've done it. Good job. What is your drag name again? I forgot we were where we were at. We need Reginald to know that McSunday we Funnies. <laughs> Okay, oh, I thought you had one that updated after since Reginald McSunday Funnies. I don't know. I don't remember, but since I don't remember it, cool. that clearly right. means that Reginald McSunday Funnies is funnier because I still remember that one. I want to be. I want to be a a cool cat. I want to have a a warrior cat's name, but I, I'm not a furry. Okay, I just want to. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your warrior cat's name is like little baby kitten. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> sex kitten. No. <laughs> 
Oh my god, that's like the worst. The the character that like is supposed to be there for the girls, but then actually is just horrible. Sex kitten is the tramp stamps of the warrior cats. Yikes. Oh my god. I hate the like layers of knowledge that it takes to understand what you just said, and I especially hate that I have all of those layers. <laughs> You're so welcome. I can't believe I just said that we would get all our wiggles out. My warrior cat's name would be Garfield. <laughs> Gar is a type of fish. Big orange calzone cat. Gar is a type of fish, and they know what fields are, so I would be Garfield. This is so stupid. I love it. Remember how we were going to talk about Rachel's deep scarring trauma today? What do you think Rachel's warrior cat's name would be? Uh, Rip and Tear. Rip and Tear? Mountain Dew? <laughs> Mountain Dew Code Red. Actually, wait, maybe, maybe, maybe she would be Spike Claw instead of me. Spike Claw. Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> oh I don't think they know what crystals or Pepsi are. Okay, what's what's your your drag name? Your your warrior cat's name? What, what are you trying to do? Steal my bank account information? That's private information. <laughs> social, so. Your social security number. All those things, and I can finally transform into me, a doppelganger. You know how like fairies need your your true name. Yeah. Uh, well, while we're vegging out in our collective, I don't know. I guess it's quickly becoming a gamer dead because I'm living in it. But uh, <laughs> while we're chilling out in here, the, pro- the transitive properties. If if Parker is in a room, therefore room is gamer den. <laughs> I mean, Tran- it, like transgenderative property. <laughs> I have to be like a cat. Like I have to get my sense soaked into the area. But once I do that, okay, it, it is official. I have to be then. like a cat. Ooh, ooh, I just have to get my scent in the area. <laughs> now that we're hanging out in our in our cool collective gamer den after work, I figure uh, you want to talk about Animorphs Volume Forty Eight: The Return, featuring Rachel it's morphing depressing. into a cool person on the cover. Like I read this book and I was just like, "Yep, <laughs> oh my god, that was disturbing." Are we not all a girl sitting with murderous intent over a rat about to kill it, perhaps, and looking at ourselves in the shard of a broken mirror with, like, the weight of the world on our shoulders? Like, I'm that, but I'm also the rat at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the mirror because I'm too self-conscious about the situation. Mm-hmm. This book, to me, Rachel Lanamorph has dethroned every other war writer in the American canon for me. There's no better war writer than Rachel Lanamorph. <laughs> From a literary perspective, I know that these are obviously like journals, but in the way that Hemingway is an artist, Rachel is an artist. This book was incredible. It's so good. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is that again, as you said, Ursa, they were the blows were softened for a younger audience. But in this one, like nested nightmare sequences, an ambiguous ending, like yeah, it's... the most deep and personal conversation about self doubt in any of these. Like it's kind of a masterpiece. This is and this I I really think that something like this was necessary because I feel like we get such a such a, an intimate look at the rest of the Animorphs, and we, we've had that for a while, and Rachel, like, always gets the short end of the stick, because she's always yes. the one that everyone is just like, oh, she's just, like, a murderous nutcase, and that is sort of the end of it. And Tobias isn't even really, like, I mean, they're kids, so they don't really know how to, like, deal with that kind of stuff, but they're comforting each other the way that they can. But, mm-hmm. like, this was a really intimate description of something that, up until this point, we haven't really gotten a look at as to like the actual effects of 
war. This is like someone who ostensibly has like a very clear cut and dry relationship with this thing. And then it turns out that no, she is suffering just as much, if not more than everyone else with what she has become through this experience. And part of what is so difficult about it is that she just literally doesn't know when it's going to end. And our perspective on it from as, as like historians or history students or whatever is always going to be different than people in the moment. The repeated refrains, the use of sort of repeated language of like she's trying to convince herself that she's not crazy throughout this whole thing. Mm, uh, yeah. It's so powerful. There are just so many devices in here that just are not used in the rest of the journals to communicate how absolutely like harrowing doesn't seem like strong enough a word for how like maybe flensing how powerfully mm. flensing an experience this is for her I love um, to be flensed do you yeah. self-flense at the end of the day <laughs> no it, it i mean it starts out like we're at the white house all of a sudden and i'm like whoa holy cow wait okay so are they they're in a public school right i think, I think so. so yeah Okay, cool, cool, cool. So yeah, that probably should have tipped me off, but it didn't because I was like, oh yeah. wow, they, their school flew them out to the White House? And that like... That's yeah. the real dream scenario. I like remembered vaguely that it was kind of a dream scenario because I have read this journal a while ago, but I was like, the dream scenario thing was going on for so long that I was actually starting to be like, wait, maybe I'm misremembering this and they really did go to the White House. And then it finally was like, no, no, it's a dream. I was like, oh, phew, okay. That bit with Tobias, like, it just, it felt so real, and it was yeah. so, like, okay, the dream sequence is over, and then it's like, haha, no, actually, and I was like, oh god, this is, this is literally what they go through all the time. It is this, like, every day the same nightmare. Like, they keep waking up. Yep. Yeah. And they, like, can't get away. Yeah. And they can't get away. She, like, she wakes up from a nightmare, but, like, it becomes clear in another chapter or two that she's still in another nightmare. And this just kind of keeps happening. There's not a single, like, moment in this entire journal that we are allowed to believe as the readers that this is the objective reality of the situation. Right, and that's why I think, like, we've been making a distinction, like, oh, did this one happen and this one not? And it's like, I don't think that that really serves us anymore at this point mm -hmm. to just, like, it's, I think it's less about that and more about what these can mean to like us these like these accounts can inform the general public's perception of the way that these events actually happened and this is a perfect example of it doesn't really matter if it's real or not it's like a subjective experience and that's what matters is that yeah. war like blinds you to reality because with the trauma it just it buries you in in these experiences and it just is so hard to distinguish like, it, it just keeps cropping up in all these different situations and, and, and takes away what you love. And, yeah. And Rachel is dealing with that. Kind of a rough book to read, like, a week or two after you join a resistance movement full-time. Mm. But, like, here we are, you know? And I think that there's something valuable there. You know, yeah, like, I, I, I agree that, like, that this book is a really weighty... Here's the degree of what's happening when you're in wartime. Like, obviously, we're not in wartime, but, like... I mean... I mean, we're not obviously feeling the effects of the wars that may or may not be occurring, depending on how little we know about the broader Andalite Empire, right. you know? I would say that, like, the culture that we live in, though, is in like, a never-ending war cycle, though, and that mm -hmm. has a trickle-down effect. <laughs> yeah, and if we are to read this as a cautionary tale or as something that is in another way sort of applicable to real struggle, we have to keep in mind 
that despite all of this, despite all of the agony that takes place in 48, the struggle is still worth achieving. Like, it's still, like, a good outcome is still worth achieving. And that's... Oof, that's a lot to tackle when you're dealing with this degree of trauma and when you're dealing yeah. with this degree of horror. We just need to we need to keep in mind that she keeps fighting after this. This is not enough to make Rachel break. This is not enough to make her give up. And she keeps going and we need to keep going as well. And we need to sort of like draw what strength we can from this tale of uh, agony. Yeah, I, I agree. Even when faced with like your biggest regret, like she still has so much potential to do good and make change yeah absolutely in the first dream sequence when they're in the white house she uh i mean i guess it's kind of a theme throughout most of them is that her ongoing patience with jake and his sort of more cautious more strategic leadership style wears thin and eventually snaps and she at least in this first chapter sort of goes after him and is like hey i need to make a move here she feels like she can do better and she feels like it's coming i don't remember when the first time it is that she brings up the one journal where she actually does take charge and it results in uh, a lot of cool property destruction, but then also <laughs> Cassie almost being kidnapped. Rachel does the equivalent of, like, skateboarding on someone's lawn because they, like, gave you a bad grade. It was, yeah. um, The Weakness is book yeah. 37 yeah. is the one where she takes over. 37. 11 journals earlier. It's Ooh. been a long time, She's yeah. probably still thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've been reading these for a while. Yeah, this theme keeps reappearing of her being frustrated with Jake, but she does sort of keep in mind that, like, she's had an opportunity to do that. And I think that that ends up kind of... I think that that's sort of where the repeated refrain of I'm not some kind of nut starts coming in, where she sort of has to remember that even though she's feeling these feelings, she's aware of the sort of reality that she like if things go her way entirely and she doesn't have to rely on anybody else and she doesn't have to take anybody else's input that that goes pretty poorly rachel handshake emoji marco i'm not some <laughs> kind of nut very worried that they are nuts oh my god <laughs> it's just mental illness issues i know but the rachel and marco parallels are so strong yeah i was really like even though I have a lot of really mixed feelings about Rachel, I was really, like, worrying about her mental health throughout this whole thing. Because obviously, you know, you know me, I do think a lot of this is, like, fabricated, and I was kind of reading this as more of a, like, I was reading this as kind of more like a metaphorical exploration of her mental state that she potentially wrote or someone else wrote later mm -hmm. to kind of try and get a better understanding of what rachel's mental place may have been as they were nearing the end of the war because you know there isn't a ton of documentation about that kind of stuff yeah and this could have taken place whenever yeah so to me obviously i'm reading it more as a metaphor but i do think some of it is probably grounded in reality and especially there was some uh i don't remember exactly where it was where she was like very clearly describing like I can never keep them straight, but, like, one of the ones that's, like, dissociation or derealization or one of those, depersonalization, one of them. Yeah. I can never remember yeah. which one's which and which one goes with which symptom. But I was just, like, you are, like, 15 and you're already dealing with this. And obviously I know that happens to many people all the time, including people who are not fighting secret alien wars. But, oh, my God, no one should have to deal with this. Yeah. Again, like, I have a lot of mixed feelings, but just throughout this journal, she is 
very clearly dealing with a lot of trauma and mental illness. And it's the same with Marco, where they're like very clearly dealing with a lot of trauma and mental illness, and they're just like, I'm not crazy, I'm fine. Same with Cassie. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking specifically of the Rachel-Marco dynamic of like very insistently being like, I'm fine, and I'm coping with it with either like aggression or humor. I've read ahead a little bit, and the degree to which Marco is just like, I got my dad and my mom back. I'm just, you know, sitting pretty. And it's like, okay, Marco. (laughs) Pretty, legally dead, love it. Don't have to go to school. Life goals. Life goals. You can't play Doom in the Horkbushier colony, though. They don't have a... Love to play Doom in the Horkbushier colony. (laughs) Do you you think Horkbushier would be good at Doom? Like the the folks at the Horkbushier colony. They roleplay Doom. They don't play it. They, like, reenact it. uh, Horkbushier are the most hardcore LARPers since the Scandinavians. Uh, Anyway, uh, Marco is pretty consistently in her nightmares here an antagonist. Yeah. yeah, and it's like he's always the one who's saying the thing that no one else is, has the guts to say, but is always thinking, which is like a terrible thing to think about what you like if your friends think that way, way about you. It's exhausting and terrifying. Have you seen that post that's like self recognition through the other derogatory? Because that is exactly <laughs> what's happening here. That's cute. <laughs> That's funny. It I feel is, like I do that all the time because, too, actually. Yeah, like they do that all the time to each other, like in real life, as well as in these dream sequences, because I really feel like Marco and Rachel are like the same person in so many ways, but just those little differences in like their upbringings and like societal expectations have kind of very, very radically changed how they handled having that kind of very similar personality. Like a lot of it is a gender thing, I think. Yeah, if I mean, I understand where Rachel's coming from because I'm yeah. a I'm a woman who um and Rachel's like a young girl, but uh like I'm a, a young woman who needs to feel dangerous, and dangerous, dangerous to to people who would push my boundaries or yeah. who would view me as something that that isn't dangerous. I I just like there's this power imbalance that feels so prevalent in my life, and I I don't yeah. blame Rachel at all for needing to feel like she can forge herself into a weapon when needed. And I obviously can't turn into like a bear, which it sucks. So <laughs> yeah, it really bites. I have to go about it in perhaps more rational ways, but like, I don't know. I just really, I, I know I've said this multiple times as we've been talking about these books, but like, I just really vibe with Rachel's like yeah. need for that. Girl boss. <laughs> I, like I've said before, I think if the, events of the journals never happened and the years never came to earth rachel would grow up to be a girl boss feminist police officer no but she would no not a police officer she wouldn't be a police officer she gets so bootlicky when police officers show up though consider also though like a girl of gun social media where she's like an operator (laughs) but like she's also like a She's got like she the slight, really she's got like slight wise vibes, and she kind of leads into that to be like, "Oh yeah, you should arm yourselves." <laughs> Leftist tradwife. Leftist tradwife. <laughs> 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 because I'm into a lot of like cottage core type stuff and like baking and cooking. I'm into. I have a lot of very domestic hobbies, very feminine hobbies, and often ones that are kind of old-fashionedly feminine. I run mm-hmm. into trad wives so often. If you are oh, ever on the no. internet and you see a cute aesthetic picture of a woman in an apron baking something, check the source. Back from the gap, off to the range to put 500 rounds through my bosun de God. Like... <laughs> <laughs> off to the range to put 500 rounds through a picture of Donald Trump. XOXO. Yeah. <laughs> 
Off to, off to the range to put 500 rounds through a picture of Marco and then go out for milkshakes with him later. <laughs> that is true. That is 100% true. I love the moment in chapter 16 where the drone just gets absolutely murdered. For a mysterious reason that has nothing to do with our discussions, I keep reading the drone in sort of a, a crunchy transatlantic accent whenever we talk. <laughs> hey, that's pretty weird, man. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird. Would I would never, de- I've never described anyone's accent as crunchy before. But it's okay. It's not actually crunchy. It's more like crackly. You know what's crunchy? The drone when Rachel tears his head off like a banana. It's great. Crunch. Rip the drone, the little raisin that could. The way that she phrased that was so weird. A banana with opinions. I'm a banana with opinions. I'm a banana with opinions. I think that Krayak maintains the drone's consciousness in his head. Oh, he reassembles in midair, so he it's a temporary hey. death by the drone. Hey, hey, hey. I just thought of a joke, and we might have made this last time David come up, but I just thought of the joke. It is not related to what we're talking about, but despite all Rachel's rage, she's still just a rat in a cage. Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. Is that your impression of a valley girl accent? Because the world is a yerk pool. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm gonna drain. Secret desire. Did I sound like a valley girl? Like a girl I it sounded like you to. were doing a <laughs> valley girl impression. That's that's my impression of what's his face. I don't know what his face is. I just know the song. The world Wait. is a vampire. Oh, um. Well, now he's southern. Wait, now you're making Billy Corgan southern. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. The world is a vampire. Uh, <laughs> that's not what it's banjo <laughs> break. <laughs> yeah, that's just <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have been nice to have a paper copy of this one because I kept getting confused as to who was speaking. I think the formatting was actually screwed up. Like, I don't think it's... I think part of it is just, like, it's a little confusing because a 15-year-old wrote this with... Possibly a 15-year-old wrote this with some edits. Possibly. But I do think that actually, like, just in the, like, conversion to the copy that Professor Leone rest in peace, gave to us, I do think the conversion just straight up screwed up some formatting, and that's why it's really hard to tell it apart. Because there are some people talking who should be formatted, like ThoughtSpeak or something else, and they're just formatted like regular talking, and I think that's just a goof. UNLESS IT'S A CONSPIRACY! What? No. Probably would have just got all House of Leaves to give it everybody a different font. Mm. Did they do that in House of Leaves? I still haven't read it. Yeah. Yeah, Krayak is a terrible little baby man who wants Rachel to be his butt kicker in chief. And he has his 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 raisin friend show up. Um, oh, but this is all this is all within the context of uh, of David returning, which actually probably we should. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. It is, it's <laughs> the crux of the horrible. book. It's just yeah, the... he's a horrible little man. The incel vibes are so strong that I just no. Yeah, that, no, that's true. That's accurate. It's um. no, I seriously, 10, 20 more years, and David would have been in like the grotiest corners of the internet on incel boards, on like whatever the chans are, whatever, fully endorsing like murdering women for fun. Yeah, he's got his terrible little goons with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this girl that I had a crush on stabbed me in the ear with a fork when I was a kid. and <laughs> Now I hate women and I want to shoot up my workplace. Like, he has that exact vibe, unfortunately. Have you guys yeah. ever seen 
<laughs> this is an ancient movie. Have you ever seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? No. It rings a bell. It's it, okay. It has. Big I mean, I, from vibes. the name, I can guess what it's about. Yeah, M- Rick Moranis develops a shrink ray. Oh, Rick Moranis. Yes. Okay. I have yeah. no idea who that is. Anyways, there's this one dorky little kid in that, and he wears like this red hat and he's got like this like vacant expression and this blonde hair and that's what i always think of when i when i think of david in my head he's got this dumb red hat on and he like looks like a punk i mean i can definitely picture him in a certain specific genre of red baseball cap even as a rat he has those vibes and like his voice he's a rat in a hat i am now picturing a rat in a maga hat oh no oh god i wasn't even thinking that's what I meant I when I said like a specific genre of red baseball cap. Yeah. I was thinking a MAGA it's, hat. It's a trucker hat. It's not a baseball hat, technically. I Do I look like I give a shit about the sartorial distinctions of MAGA No, which hats? is why I only mentioned it yeah. when you brought it up. We should, watch, we should watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, though, today. So David's plan is to, well, obviously... Hire to some teenage thugs. <laughs> One of whom has a rat tattooed on his face. That right, okay. is commitment. I was wondering, like, is it just coincidence? There, I feel like there are so many options here, and all of them are incredibly intriguing. Like, does this guy just happen to really like rats? So when a talking rat was like, hey, you want to be my hench person? He was like, oh, yeah, I am so down. I love rats. I have a rat tattoo. Or does he just, like... David forced him to get the rat tattoo. No, yeah, or did, like, he get the rat tattoo because of David? <laughs> did he just, like, happen to, like, get drunk and randomly get a rat tattoo and it has, like, no significance? Every single option for the rat tattoo David connection is so funny. Is it a temporary tattoo, perhaps? Yeah! I feel like How that's the least he... exciting and funny like, option, though. He just put it on to, no, that's to the funniest. impress and scare Rachel. It's the funniest because he's such a poser if it's a temporary tattoo. Yeah, it's just, like, I don't know, something he got out of a vending machine at the mall. Yeah. He was just like, this looks sick. I'm going to put it on my face so everybody has to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm a great guy. I, I don't I'm understand dangerous. anybody who gets face tattoos. I mean, I think that, well, for example, a lot of indigenous people, it's like a, an important part of their culture and stuff. That is I very think true. Also, for okay, some people. Good point. I don't get white people who get face tattoos. I think sometimes <laughs> it is coming from a place of like an intense rejection of the norms of modern society and capitalism and the tenets of professionalism that are often hand in hand capitalism and so i think sometimes it's absolutely coming from a place of like absolute stupidity but sometimes i think it is coming from a place of just like i so strongly do not want to be a part of this system i am visibly opting out of this system and that's why I have pussy across my forehead. Um, yeah, that, that sounds okay, pussy, sick. Pussy actually. across your forehead might beat stupidity, but like, and that's why I have. I actually spent a good amount of my teen years just really deep into like extreme body modification, like internet forums. Mm-hmm. So I know that about you, you don't really have that much, do you? I really don't. I've really just got the one. But yeah, no, that was like a thing that I spent a lot of time on it. So I actually have a lot of respect for people who like really pursue that and like make that their whole thing. And like, as you said, uh, as you said, Cassandra, like is like it's it's extremely uh it's extremely an opting out of that whole system all of the all the people i can think of who have face tattoos are metal people so i I was gonna say yeah i imagine most people with face tattoos are either like this kind of dude who's like working literally working for a rat or the wrestlers are like people who are in metal bands but i think that's interesting i didn't i didn't really think about it that way about that it can be like a rejection of like the capitalism the kind of capitalism that requires you to like 
look a certain way, which I absolutely despise. Like my hair was dyed at one point and I had to, I had to undye it for a job, which was so stupid. Oh God, that sucks. Yeah. Thus, thus far I've been able to get away with having bright purple hair. Well, it's actually not bright. It's only bright like the day after I dye it and then it fades pretty quick. Right. But (laughs) I've been able to get away with having purple hair so far at all of my jobs. But that's always been because I'm like in a back office somewhere doing data entry for way too little pay. And I think there have been some jobs where I've interviewed and I haven't gotten it. And I would not be surprised if it was the hair, at least as part of it. Or possibly the fact that a bunch of the like volunteer experience on my resume is like a disability organizations. That might also be a little bit of a problem. You're too radical. Yeah. Anyway, so David's plan, uh, in addition to making Rachel and Othlin and gloating for the rest of his natural, very short rat life. I was going to say, yeah, he's just going to, like, make her his, like, rat queen and, like, die together. Is that his plan? <laughs> he uses the term rat queen, actually, yes. Oh, he does? Uh, which, I forgot about that. I thought I was just I pulling I believe he does there. say that, uh, which is really wild. His actual plan, though, here to sort of assert himself as a global power is to reintroduce the bubonic plague or just like other sort of biological weapons into the to, to humanity so as okay. to wipe out a bunch of people. Yes, this hits very different in the age of a pandemic. It sure does. Like, this is laughable if you read it and it's like normal times and then it's a pandemic and you're like, wait a second, could he actually do that? <laughs> Can he do that? <laughs> At the time that these books were written, there were labs out in goodness knows where, uh, where they do have vials of, like, smallpox, which, you know, we don't have that anymore, but they do have it. Hypothetically, if everything goes right, and he wasn't such a, such a <laughs> like, he could do this. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty impressive that he... Yeah, and even Rachel is impressed by the fact that, like, he has gotten this far with it, right? Her exact words at the end of chapter 13 are, all of a sudden I realized that David wasn't crazy. Well, maybe he was crazy, but his plan wasn't. And I'm like, no, his plan is still crazy. It's just theoretically feasible. The Animorphs are crazy, but they make it work, so, like... Part of of what he sort of suggests here is that he uh, he could sort of muster a rat army and sort of spread it that way. And so, like, that actually... Rachel sort of eventually comes to realize is not something that he could do because he doesn't have telepathic control over other rats. That's something that her weird nightmare brain has made up. But, like, entirely, I think it's probably still feasible within the sort of boundaries of, like, what he's capable of. And, like, if he could get a good quantity of money, you could just, like, get stuff on planes and make super spreader events. And Yeah, okay, so this is kind of interesting. I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Like, I think that this is an interesting example of a brain in a jar sort of, like, thought experiment. Ooh, tell me more. Because, like, David doesn't really have any physical capability. He mm-hmm. has just, I mean, okay, he was able to sneak into the bank and steal bills, like, one at a time. But, like, let's just give give someone a brain and a lot of money and see what they can do but just by manipulating other people and manipulating, like, stocks and, like, I don't know, and they, like, have the idea to, like, spread the bubonic plague. What could, like, just a brain in a jar with money in this thought experiment do to, like, threaten the whole world? Like, do you think this actually could have been possible with just, like, the brain in a jar and just, like, controlling lots of people? And does a brain in the jar and in a jar actually control all the evil corporations in our real world? Hmm? Is that the future that we're going to be living in once cybertechnic technology reaches that point? I think about this stuff all the time. <laughs> David Animorphs, are you to blame for the current situation? What do you have to say for yourself? Squeak, 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 squeak. squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs>
How do we feel about the fact that Rachel describes David emoting in ways that are very human? I mean, I think she kind of lampshades that. She talks specifically about how it's kind of her anthropomorphic anthropo. I can't pronounce that. Um, projecting anamorphophorphizing. Anamorphophorphizing. I'm glad someone got that joke. Thank you. Anamorphophorphizing his his expressions, but. I think that's more Rachel reading into it, especially since she knew him as a human. Like, I think it's much easier to anchor-porkifies someone if you also know, like, an animal, if you also know the human version of them and you've seen the human version of them emote. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's easy to do this with Tobias as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but Tobias to me seems less sort of physical in his expressions of, like, oh, I'm gonna do a human emotion. He mostly just looks at you. I wonder if that's kind of a... Uh, uh, species well not species thing but like rats i i'm not a biologist but i would assume rats are more closely related to us than hawks and i think yeah it's a little bit easier to project emotions onto a rat like for example dogs like dogs have recognizable emotions you can tell what a dog is feeling a lot of times from their body language and even from their facial expression it's not the same as humans but you can tell and i think it's um like rats i've i've been around like pet rats and i love rats um and i think in a lot of ways rats can often act like a very small dogs um so i feel like it's a you can kind of get a little bit of an emotional sense of rats maybe not as much because it's like a scale problem as well and b she knows how he emotes as a human so i think with tobias she also doesn't know as much about how he emoted as a human pre nothlet because she didn't know him very well, and then once he nothlidified, his human morph he talks about is still affected by being a hawk most of the time. And then on top of that, hawks, I think, probably exp- are less easily read expression-wise than rats would be. So I think it's kind of a combination. Yeah, but I think they attribute something to Tobias's personality through, like, a lack of expression, for sure. Yeah. yeah. That actually does kind of reflect where he's at, because <laughs> he's like so deep in the layers of himself that, with his own trauma, that he just can't really be as emotional as he wants to be. So one thing that I thought was interesting was the way in which Krayak is set up as very technological and artificial in this, and how that is framed as negative, and how part of Rachel's transformation is technological as well. She, you know, gets, like, Mm. steel claws and fangs, and she's compared to, like, a spring coiled when she moves. Um, And I think that a lot of that comes from kind of an association that a lot of people had and have because it's not like oh it's a problem that Krayak is technological I mean I don't believe in Krayak but it's it's more of a problem of the way that that is framed because I think it really falls into a lot of the whole like um transhumanist cyberpunk but bad where it's like altering your body and adding technology to your body is bad and like makes you less Hmm. human because I think that is Rachel is less human. I think she even says, like, she's not recognizable as a human to um, Visser 3. And part of that is the technology that's integrated into her body. And it's also emphasized that Krayak is very technological and this big red staring eye. And it's it's an ableist thing. 
uh, as like a sort of way of associating and thinking, you know, because a lot of people have like implants, like a pacemaker, a birth control implant, prosthetic limbs, all kinds of stuff. Uh, di- you know, the insulin pumps diabetes for diabetes, all kinds of stuff like mm-hmm. that. So wait, are you are you saying that? Hmm? I guess this butts up against whether or not this really happened. Because I mean, like, if this is yeah, just an no, accurate so, description of events, like, because no, Kreyak isn't well, necessarily savvy doll. This sort of doesn't care about it's, it. No, no, it's it's not. So a, I do think that this is metaphorical. B, however, okay. even if it is literal and this did actually happen, it's not so much about the bare facts of the situation. It's about the way that it's framed and emphasized and positioned as, like, technology and body augmentation is bad by really emphasizing how a lot of Rachel's transformation is technological and inhuman. But her her take on it is that it makes her obscenely powerful, that she, she loves it. Well, I mean, she loves it, but yeah, it's not necessarily like... You know, frequently characters in books say that they are loving a situation, and I am not loving that situation. I think most of the readers are not loving that situation. And I think that that also holds true for, like, if you're reading a memoir. I think it makes sense to be someone else's perspective on Rachel's inner trauma, because it seems to hold a certain amount of knowledge that, like, this is what is like bad for Rachel and she doesn't necessarily know it but like other people can see that it's like not great for her and Andalite technology I mean that's also in them so oh that's a great point yeah so I think it's a lot of a matter of like framing which technology is seen as natural because I think that's kind of what I was about to get to with what you're saying about how there's Andalite morphing technology involved is how much some things, some types of technology are seen as, like, good and okay and natural. Like, the Andalite morphing technology is technology, and it is gross when they morph, but it is also framed kind of because of how it's gross. It's framed in kind of a visceral, as in literally having to do with viscera kind of thing, where it is really about their bodies. It's very organic, even though it's technology. Whereas this felt much more like... It's also invisible. Yeah, Exactly, and this felt sort of cold and detached and inhuman. So I feel like it's kind of setting up, like, certain types of technology and body augmentation are okay, and other types are not. And um, it kind of feels like it's setting up, like, good guy tech is okay. And it feels like in some ways it's kind of contrasting the Elemist in Krayak, because the Elemist does often seem to be associated with nature, but, like, we know he's using at least some tech stuff, if he's real, which he isn't, and so it's kind of like, ooh, the Elemist is using using technology. Yeah, it's like, the Elemist is using technology correctly in the good and wholesome way, but using body augmentation to be stronger is bad, and you shouldn't do it. I don't know. Well, this is this is kind of the thing about Rachel. No, I I agree. I think that this is kind of like the argument about Rachel in general is that like, is it wrong for her to want to feel more powerful? Like, that's what she wants, and that's what she apparently needs. And so, obviously, in this situation, like, there's some like ableism involved. I mean, it's like a dream scenario for her to just like be able to turn into a weapon and I was obviously talking about this earlier but like I do think that there's some moralizing that goes on from others about what is good for her and I think like technology that changes the way that you look and instead of just like blending in like we have to think of like 
what's that girl's name? Uh, Taylor, yes. Taylor, yeah. Like, with Taylor, like, it changes the way that she looks, and, like, she's, like, another bad character, so, like... Oh, man, that's a great point. I think this is a great point, Cassandra, though, like, like there just can't be that, like, moralizing that goes on. Yeah, I... Okay, so the connection I want to make here is that the, the distinction between Rachel having the morphic technology, which is sort of slick and seamless and is invisible, and her becoming this, like, Tetsuo the Iron Man, like, Heisenberg from Resident Evil 8, sort of, like, mecha monster, the difference there is it's the same difference that like was illustrated in that one journal where uh jake has his solution to hallucination about new york city where the andalite engines are blue and the york engines are red like it's both technology but one of them is evil you know yeah and it's based on how it looks you know but like i think at the at the core though another aspect of that that we need to consider is that they're both kind of the same they both give the same kind of, like, because, like, Rachel becomes immeasurably more powerful after getting the morphing technology. Her take on this specific sort of, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to become a cool beat monster is on chapter 22. And yes, you're right, Cassandra, I did totally forget about this earlier when I uh, when I sort of brought up this initial sort of, like, thing. But, uh, but she says to herself, face it, Rachel, the power is like a drug and you are like an addict. Would I ever get enough? How long before I turned into a morally decrepit monster like this or one? Hmm, that sounds a lot like what some doctors have said when I've asked them if I could get a wheelchair. Oh, you'll turn into a morally decrepit monster like this or one? Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Super Rachel was not beautiful and kind and benevolent. She would not be honored and respected. She was hideous and violent and brutal. She would be feared by everyone, despised and but, hated. But, like, this is sometimes as a woman, that's how you want to feel. This is just the exact thing I run into with, like, being a good disabled person or a bad disabled person. Yeah, and she's made to feel this way by her peer group about morphing. Like, she's yeah. made to feel like a freak and like a dangerous person and like a loose cannon and like someone out of control. Like, power is power is power. It doesn't matter if it's like invisible or if it turns you into like a really sick mecha creature, you know? If it turns you into like the, the most the most nasty cyborg, honestly, God. Super Rachel yeah. like, in my brain looks so cool. <laughs> We have to think about, like, the pressure that, I guess, the other animals are putting on her to return back to, because some of them still have so much desire to be able to return back to their normal lives, like Marco and Jake, and I guess even Tobias has this, like, idealized version of what life would be without this, and, and Cassie, obviously, but, like, it doesn't work that way for Rachel, and, mm -hmm. like... I think that they have this idea of her of like, it's like nice Rachel and mean Rachel. Like they were, they got re along really well with nice Rachel in many ways, aside from the ways that, that she was brave. And like, I don't know. I just want her to be able to have space to just be a horrible claw monster if she wants to be. Like we've talked about like the desire to be a hork -Bajir. What if, you know, it's also okay to just have the desire to like, not be held down by societal expectations. To chuck this or what across what I'm pretty sure is like a literal like gladiatorial arena. It's like chapter 19 rolls around. I'm like, oh, we're doing sports now. Okay, cool. Sports where Visser One is the ball. Yep, exactly. Visser Ball. I feel like we've hit a very deep vein here, or or maybe we've been we've been mining this vein for a long time in our class discussions, but it's just like good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. Very eloquent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. And Krayak here is fundamentally, if you think about, if you want to take a really metaphysical view of it and say, like, all oh, the Elemis arranged for these children to have the cube, um, Krayak is basically just doing the same thing. Um, but he's he's basically, he's taking a you trap more flies with honey than vinegar kind of thing. He's just giving her what she wants and kind of manipulating her in an attempt to do that. 
I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting stuff. And she eventually has the strength to say, I'm one of the good guys. Yeah. Like, I actually think in some ways that Super Rachel is not necessarily bad, at least the body. But I think that still rejecting that ultimately was the right choice. It might just even be something as simple as, like, it would be fine for someone else, but she knows it wouldn't work for her because she knows her personality well enough to know that she shouldn't have that kind of power, which is kind of a, in many ways, like a thing to know about yourself, to know that you couldn't be trusted with that kind of power, but it's better to know it than not know it. I don't know. I don't know how much of it, I don't know how much of it is the body and how much of it is just Rachel. Because if, if Krayak is, if Krayak, if Krayak is controlling the body, so much of like personality is actually just about like, hormones and stuff like maybe he's also making her yeah way more ragey and impulsive and stuff i think it can it, like if crack was real i don't think that they can like alter people's emotional states as per the rules of the elemists game with crack if you want to get into that and i know you don't you don't really believe on that whole side of things which is neither here nor there i think they basically just couldn't do that for the interference reasons. And, like, Rachel has had the notion that, like, oh, actually, maybe I shouldn't be in charge and not everybody should do what I say. Yeah, I agree with you that it's, like, learning that you have an addictive personality is, like, kind of a bummer, but, like, I think it's a huge character moment for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's also that bit where she sort of, like, reconciles with Darko, um, but, like, that's pretty... I don't feel like that results in lasting change. The relationship doesn't really change. I feel like this is... I mean, again, I haven't read ahead, like, I haven't read the, the future books, I don't know how this changes her as a person, but, like, I feel like this, this to me indicates a, uh, a really dramatic sort of, like, oh, this is a personal revelation, like, this is, this is gonna change who she is from here on out. I feel like we get a lot of these, these, like, incredible character development moments where people really come to personal revelations about themselves and, like, have moments of sort of personal discovery that I feel like should change the way they behave but then don't and i don't really know why maybe because you're a teen and you're stubborn yeah you're a teen and you're stubborn and like change is hard and changing yourself and doubting yourself in the middle of a a guerrilla war against an intergalactic empire is like not really something you want to deal with but it is kind of frustrating like i don't know i i I hope that she does sort of like that this is reflected in the accounts of the our future accounts of the past events. Yes. Because <laughs> they already happened, but yeah. they are future for me because I've not read them. Imagine not having finished the Animorph series. All right. Well, hey, some of us have supplies to get from place to place very covertly on a bicycle. Have fun. You're doing all that on a bike? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the best way to carry a relatively large amount of cargo without, you know, leaving an energy signature. I mostly just yeah. do it because it's a way to work out at work. Next week, we're reading Animorphs Volume 49, the diversion featuring Tobias morphing into what I believe is a German Shepherd on the cover. Y'all want to play some video games? I'm really bad at video yeah. games, but I'll watch I'll watch YouTube play video games. Well, I should eat, and then I'm going to play video games. Okay. I think I have some noodles in the communal fridge, unless someone else ate them. So, uh, I'm going to go check. Oh, I did eat God them. God, so. I, I put... <laughs> there's tape on the lid that says Cassandra. And it has the date. Do you know what it says on the lid? It says Cassandra. Suddenly I can't read. So. <laughs> uh, it was late last night. I was hungry. Oh my god. Steal someone What if I else, bought you more? Steal someone else's food when you're hungry next time. Don't steal my food. We're friends. Or don't steal anyone's food when you're hungry next time. No, steal the food of someone you don't like.
No, don't do that. No. <laughs> stealing is good, kids. You should do stealing. Do we need to? Do I need to repurpose some supplies from elsewhere to make sure that you get enough food or so? Come on. No, I'm it's the fine. Anti-animorphs. You know, the animorphs are always like stealing is bad. Stealing is good, but not stealing. Anti-morphs. Stealing is great. What if the animorphs didn't actually turn into animals? What if they weren't the animorphs? What if they were the like object morphs? <laughs> Suck. There was a parody series that came out at the oh same time God. called Veggie Morphs. Horrible. There were only two books, I think. But the thing is, vegetables aren't like an actual biological category. So what did they morph into? It's a parody of a children's but if, series. But if they can morph into vegetables, what are they considering to fall under the umbrella of vegetables? The parody at least needs to be Oh no, this is an apple. I can't acquire right? it. But like a cucumber is a care. fruit. But you call it a vegetable. If you can acquire a cucumber, you should also be able to acquire an apple. I'm gonna go get food! Okay, bye! Stay safe! The Morph Report is on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we are paying someone to transcribe all of our episodes. We have a variety of tiers to choose from. Some of our tiers have some pretty juicy rewards. For example, if you pay enough money, you can even force us to watch the TV show and potentially read the other series by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant, Everworld. We would really love it if you would check us out and consider supporting us. Thanks to Lee Zangari for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at leezangari.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Potomorphs, tweet at us or send us an email and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. love the Animorph series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.